and I have very different shaped ears. So that's kind of funny, but uh, hey, if you have scripture, we're going to be starting today. We're going to be all over the place a little bit. We're going to walk through some of scripture today, but we're going to start in Isaiah 9. So if you want to go ahead, if you're that person that wants to jump ahead and get there, you can go ahead and do that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, the ushers are going to come forward right now. If you just want to raise your hand, they will uh, hand you a Bible. Uh, we, we believe here, uh, don't, don't be afraid to raise your hand high. We just believe here that this, this Bible, this scripture is everything. And so, man, we, we can stand up here and we can craft a great sermon and put it together. But honestly, we believe that the word of God that's here is inspired from him. It is spoken through men. He uses the characteristics. He uses the personality of these men and speaks through them. And they are the words of God. We, don't, we believe they're without error. And so we used to actually put these under our seats under here. And we just felt like we wanted to raise the honor level of what we held in our hands. And so we want your hands and your eyes and your heart on the word of God today. And so if you need one, just, I love it, hands high, they'll bring you. You can keep that Bible if you don't have one. That's our gift to you today. We'd love for you to have it. Take it home, use it, and uh, yeah, let's get going. Uh, we've been in the book, uh, not in the book, we're not in the book, are we? We're in an, a scripture series on Advent. We're on Advent, where it's the most wonderful time of the year, where we're walking right now through uh, the Advent season. And if you weren't here last week, uh, Advent means arrival. It means the arrival. And so what we're doing as God's people is we are coming in a, and we are discussing. I'm sorry. I knew this was going to be a problem. The moment I walked up. There we go. Let's try that. Is that better? Is that better? Okay. Sorry. Um, as believers, in Ad, when we talk about Advent, we're talking about the arrival of Christ. We're talking about the coming of Christ. And so as people of God, we are people of promises. We for centuries have believed the promises that God has played and laid out all through Scripture in the Old Testament. And so he's laid out these promises about the coming of a king who would restore and redeem and he would, be, uh, he would arrive, and what we weren't aware of, that he was going to arrive necessarily in the form of a baby. And so Advent means arrival. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at the promises of God. And Christmas is the story of the fulfillment of some of these promises. It's the fulfillment of some of these promises that God has spoken about long ago. And so we place our faith in a God who made these promises, and we see the arrival of them come. We see the promises of hope. We see the promises of peace. We see the promises of joy. We see promises of love. And they are fulfilled in part by the coming, the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus. Now, the other part of this, Todd did such an amazing job. Anybody here last week? Who was here last week? Just a show of hands. Todd did an incredible job last week unfolding and unpacking some of the promises of hope in Scripture and helping us see and understand some of the hope and looking back and remembering how God fulfilled this great hope that has long been there, but also looking ahead at the coming anticipation of the hope that was to come. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about peace. We're moving on to peace. Big subject, right? Peace, peace, peace. We talk about peace everywhere we go, and we're going to talk about three kinds of peace. Peace with God, peace between man and God. We're going to talk about peace with ourselves, and we're going to talk about peace with other people, those of us all around. Some of you may have fought for a parking spot this morning. Who knows? Maybe you need to make peace with somebody by the end of this today. You're going to have a great opportunity to do that. You're going to also have the scriptural backing and understanding to understand and why we do that. So we're going to jump in. But when you think of peace, if I was to ask you right now to think about peace, you would probably think about, we'd probably get an array of thoughts in this room. I don't know why. This is how my mind works. The more you get to know me, the more you're going to understand this. When I thought of peace, the first thing that came to my mind, uh, y'all don't judge me, okay, was, uh, have you, anybody seen the movie uh, Miss Congeniality? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. 
Miss Congenial, the great epic narrative of a woman who was placed, FBI agent, who was placed undercover as one of the beauty pageants in the Miss America pageant. And she goes in to protect all of the other women who are in this pageant. And so there's this famous scene in there that I will never forget, and it makes me laugh every single time. I actually thought about showing it today, but I thought, man, maybe that would be kind of immature of me. So I wasn't going to do that. But there's this scene, and they're actually filming it down on the Riverwalk in San Antonio, and all these women are standing out, and they all represent their different states. And uh, William Shatner, the host, goes down, and he says, if, uh, he's talking to each lady, and he says, if you could bring one thing and give one thing to society, what would you give? And uh, it goes down the line, and the very end of the line is Gracie Lou Freebush. And Gracie Lou herself is the undercover FBI agent. You know, she's really gruff. They had to make her over, and they had to place her uh, in as a, uh, as a beauty queen. And it goes down the line, and they all say, world peace, Dan, world peace. World peace. I would do world peace. What would you do? World peace. World peace. And it gets down to Gracie at the end, and she says, harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. (laughs) And everybody just like stares at her, and then it's like this awkward crickets in the background, and it goes, and world peace. And everybody goes, yeah! They all like scream, they shout, and they freak out. We talk about peace, and we talk about world peace all the time. In fact, I looked up the top headlines I looked up the top headlines yesterday, and I just want to read some of these headlines to you. These were the first five headlines that I saw yesterday. European state pushes U.S. for detailed Middle East peace proposal. Obviously, we're in a little bit of a crazy time globally as our, um, well, we won't get into all that. But as the, yeah, we don't want to go there today. But we we are in an interesting time. The Middle East is an interesting time. Uh, Second headline, Nobel Peace Prize was this weekend. Anybody know that? Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, Third headline was uh, Keeping peace on the Israeli-Lebanon border. The next headline was, Opponents vanquished. The Cambodian prime minister eyes peace for country. And then the fifth headline, possibly the most important one, was uh, Meta World Peace, says Leangelo and LaMelo Ball don't need to go to college. (laughs) If you don't know who uh, Meta World Peace is, uh, Tori, can you stand up here at the end and and meet with anybody who wants to talk about that? But uh, that's probably fake news if you ask me. But then there's a lot of theories on peace. We have all these thoughts on peace and peace in the world and peace globally, peace treaties, the peace core whose mission is to bring peace and friendship to the world. You have peace all over the place. And then you think about your own personal life. And some people walked in here this morning and they are wrestling with, them, with their own life and they're wrestling with themselves. They're wrestling with it's Christmas time, right? Peace on earth and goodwill to men and yet we're fighting in the parking lots for parking spaces and we're going into Target and trying to buy out all those toys to satisfy our kids and we're rushing to kind of create this look and this feel in our house and this anticipation of Christmas Day and there's a stress rising. All the same time, people are feeling possibly and most likely in this room, isolation, feeling loneliness. Some people are reflecting this is their first holiday this year without a lost loved one. There's people In this room, even tonight, they're juggling their own work and their home life and their marriages and laundry and cleaning the house and making food and providing dinner. And there's college students in here who are fighting. College students, man, you're just ready for that home stretch. Amen? Amen? Some of y'all aren't ready. You're okay. You want to keep doing finals. That's great. Church events, Christmas ladies party, everybody's coming here. And there's all this, this, these things. We're just juggling all of these things at one time in the middle of a very stressful season for a lot of people. And the reality is, is all is not really necessarily calm. And all is not really necessarily bright for some people. And so stress begins to rise. And uh, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with this anxiety? How do you deal with maybe the, your own inner struggle, maybe from some decisions that you've made or some places that you've been or some things that you possibly have done? 
As you, I don't know if you're like me, I, I begin to think about how I can remove something from my life. How can I get rid of something? And so often I think if I have, don't have peace, then there's something I've got to take out. Any type A people in here, where are, the, where are my type A people? Don't be afraid. Be, be, you are the people that are running companies right now. Raise your hands high, or you will be running companies. Man, if you're a type A person, I'm a to-do list guy. I love to just cross something off. Like, I don't know if y'all are like me. I got to write it down, and when I remove it off the list, I'm like, ah. But it's constantly this, like, race, right, like, to remove as much as you can, but then you get more on top of that. And it's just this constant battle. Maybe you get a massage. Maybe you go into solitude. If you searched Amazon right now, maybe you looked for other ways. If you searched Amazon right now, if you typed in peace, 730,000 books on peace will come up onto your digital screen with less than half a second. And so the question is, what is peace? What does God say true peace is? While it can indeed mean the absence of conflict, it can also point to something a lot better than that. It is the absence of conflict, but it's also pointing towards someone. Peace is a person. Peace is a person. It's the absence of conflict in the presence of Jesus. And without that person, I will tell you today, you can search and you can climb the heights and you can remove as much as you want from your life. But I can promise you today, without knowing and walking in a relationship with this person, there will never be peace. You will literally live in a superficial and temporary removal of, of moments. But God offers today a person named Jesus. My hope today is in light of Advent and in light of the coming of the Christ child that we'll leave here with a little bit better perspective that not all is complete and filled yet in peace in the world. Not everything that has been said and promised has occurred yet. You, you wonder why there's struggle, why there's strife. Not all of it has happened, but there, it, there has been made a peace right now for us to participate in and for us to partake in. And so you see God, he longs to make peace between him and you. You see God who offers ways. And actually, for those of you who love practicality, you don't just like these ethereal things. You're like, Nick, that's great. Jesus, peace is a person. That's wonderful. But uh, what's he going to do when I'm in my car and I'm trying to drive from point A to point B and my kids are screaming in the background and they're throwing things and Cheerios are going all over the back of my minivan. Jesus is not in the car. He's, Carrie Underwood got it wrong. Jesus doesn't take the wheel. What am I going to do? I'll tell you today, God actually provides us scripture. He provides us a practical way to know how to walk in peace with ourselves. And then he calls us and he leads us to be agents of peace and agents of reconciliation. This word peace in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, and you probably have heard it before, but it's the word shalom. It's the word shalom. And the word shalom means this idea of wholeness, this idea of completeness. It refers to something that is complex with a lot of pieces, and it's in a, a state of wholeness, a completeness, togetherness. There's harmony. I, I had this picture of a, a puzzle that was on the table. If you like puzzles, I, I hate puzzles, by the way. I don't like puzzles. Puzzles are way too tedious, take way too much time, but some people love puzzles. If you have pieces missing, you can't find those corner pieces, you are in trouble. There is no shalom on that table, right? This is the idea. There's lots of pieces. There's lots of mixed pieces, but they all, when they are all together, and when they are whole, all are whole, then you have a state of shalom. And as you walk through scriptures, you walk through the Old Testament, you can see that this word shalom is actually found in a lot of different senses. It's referred in scripture in Joshua as, um, they refer to shalom as a stone, this idea of this holy shaped perfect stone. Think of a stone that is in the river and the river runs over it and it just creates this smoothness and this wholeness. It can refer 
to the completion of a wall that's being built. Like, it, like you think of a wall that has gaps and cracks and it's missing parts. And when that's not there, then you have a wall that's unstable. But when it's all there, you have shalom, you have wholeness, and you have harmony. It can refer to uh, a person's well-being. Shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David went to the battlefield in 1 Samuel and he speaks to his brothers and he wants to ask them, he says, how is your shalom? He checks on their peace, their wholeness, their togetherness. The core idea here is that life is complex. Amen? <laughs> it's got a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving relationships, a lot of moving circumstances and situations, and that when any of them is out of alignment and when any of them is missing, your shalom breaks down. I woke up this morning, uh, and just being real, I actually have a lot of back pain right now, believe it or not. So if you are a prayer, you can pray for me. Um, I have been having back issues for six or seven years. I'm 31 years old, and uh, that's not normal, but um, I also did a lot of things from a sports world and just uh, that made myself, uh, I didn't take care of my body. That's probably the best way of saying it. They told me it was arthritis. Someone told me, no, man, that's just wear and tear. The older you get, is there. You're just getting old, bro. And uh, I woke up this morning and my whole back was locked up. And I go to this chiropractor and things are out of alignment. And what I'm feeling, what I felt was just this radiating pain. It was coming through my body. There's, this, there's not a shalom there. There's not a togetherness. There's not a harmony. There's not an alignment. And so Proverbs 16, 7 says, we can actually reconcile and heal relationships. We can, we can bring shalom to them when rival kingdoms were at battle and were at war with each other, it said when they would make shalom, they, they wouldn't just sign a peace treaty or a peace accord, but they would stop fighting and they would begin to work together for each other's benefit to bring a wholeness and a unity. And so Israel's kings, they were supposed to be the ones who created shalom, and so many of them refused to do this. Until we see in Isaiah, and this is where we'll start in Isaiah 9, we see in Isaiah the prophet Isaiah looked forward to a future king who would bring shalom. He would bring wholeness, unity, harmony, peace. And here's what we read. We'll read it in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It'll be on the screen if you don't have scripture. But. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do this. I mean, a little background here. Yeah, I heard a little amen there. It's okay to say amen. There's going to be peace that's going to come to this world. A little background here. Sin entered the world. Genesis, we just got out of a Genesis series not long ago. We all know sin enters into the world, and it fractures the state of shalom. It fractures the state of peace. Now, stick with me here because I want you to see something today. What I want you to see here today is that God, from the beginning of Scripture until the end of time, has been talking about this shalom, that when there was a fracture from the beginning, that he's been longing to restore it. He's been longing to bring wholeness and completeness to you and to I and to the people and to creation. And so from the very beginning, sin enters into this world. It fractures the world. It fractures this connection, this relationship with man and God. And almost immediately, God speaks judgment, but he also speaks hope. 
And I want you to see this real quick in Genesis 3.15. It'll be up here on the screen. He says this to the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve and led them astray. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her. There will be strife. There will be conflict. And he says this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And from the very, we call this the proto-evangelion. It's the idea that from the very beginning, immediately, it was God's speaking the gospel in a moment of what looked like lost, fractured hopelessness. God spoke hope, and he said, I will send someone. I will crush his head. He will bite your heel, but I will crush his head. Now, I'm not much of a fighter. I love to watch UFC. I'm more of a lover, not a hater, okay? So I just think that when you hear that, crushing a head sounds a little bit more dramatic than biting a heel. What you see is this power play here. You see this power struggle here. You see that God will have power over all. You see, I don't have to sit here today and convince everybody in this room that there's sin in this world. I don't have to convince that to you. I don't got to tell you, you just turn on the news. We just walked through a whole series on racial reconciliation and justice issues. We, we just literally saw all through, we can turn on the news, we can literally see all through the news every single day. I can't even watch anymore because sometimes it's like, man, look out there at the world. You know we're in the largest refugee crisis in the history of mankind right now? Just let that sink in today. That you woke up this morning, you got into your car, you had your latte from Houndstooth or, you know, maybe you went over to Thunderbird, our people over there, shout out. And you know what? You drove here safely. You got out of your car, you got into church, you sat in the chairs, it's a warm room, we had coffee provided for you in the back, people greeted you with a smile, Laney and Michael did a great job, they led us in worship and joy and celebration, and right now, I want you to know, I just want you to hear this, that five million people right now have been displaced from their homes in Syria and Iraq, and they are on the move. And they have been pushed out. And they right now, this is more people than double the city of Austin population that right now are homeless, that right now are in the greatest crisis of their lives. And really, one of the greatest crises in our lives is the church. How are we going to respond? We can look and see globally there's issues. There's war and conflict domestically. We see, we turn it on, sexual harassment cases. We see shootings occurring. We see, I can't even begin to talk about our politics in our country. You, you'd have to be blind to argue that something is not right in the world. And what God says in one of his first promises to us is that he, from the very beginning, will crush the one who, who was part of causing this problem. He will crush the head of him. And then he says this just a few chapters ahead in Genesis 12. It will be on the screen. He tells this to Abraham, the father of Israel. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He gives us more hope. He says that from the line of Abraham, someone will come who will do this, who will bring hope. He gives us a promise that will not only crush the head of the enemies, but will bless all of the families of the earth. And then in Isaiah 7, right before we read this in Isaiah 9, he says, Therefore the Lord, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And he shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. You see that there will be someone who will come who will crush the head of the enemy, who will crush the one who's part of this deception, who will crush the head of the one who is part of causing the strife in this world and cre helped create this fracture. 
He will bless the entire world and every family, and he will give us a sign. And then right here, there is a huge shift as we read Isaiah 9, what we just read. When it says in Scripture, when it clearly says in here that for you a child is born, to you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. For the very first time, we see that this is not merely a man. This is not merely just a king. But it says this, he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Almighty God. For the very first time, we see this person will be God himself. I, I sometimes struggle to understand why the people, when Jesus came, didn't believe that this person was going to be God himself. They struggled. A lot of people, some people saw this. Some people did not. I, I struggle with that. It's been written in this very text, in the very scriptures that they said that the one that would come, that the government would rest on his shoulders, the one who where he will establish his government and there will be peace to no end would be almighty God. And when you flash forward to the New Testament, when you hop into the arrival story of Jesus Christ, you see it's right here in Luke 2. It will be up on the screen so you don't have to flip there. But in Luke 2, you read this story. It says, and in the same region where shepherds were out in the field, where they were watching their sheep, keeping watch of their flock at night, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, good news, the gospel of great joy that will be for all people. Will you say that with me? All people. Come on, people, say it like you mean it. There will be good news for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, and he will be a sign. Does this sound familiar to you? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great multitude angels of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace among those whom he is pleased. You see right here, God came in the form of a baby. He was the sign. That translation, on whom is peace and whom he is pleased, in the King James Version, it was translated this way. It said, on earth, goodwill towards men. Everybody believes now and sees now that that actually is probably not a great translation at all. Modern translations all agree it's very inaccurate. If you read the NIV, it says, on earth, Peace on whom his favor rests. On earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. In the ESV, it says, on earth, peace among whom he is pleased. The point is simply this. Don't miss this. That even though God's offer of peace was going out to all people, that everybody has the ability to receive this peace, it is only for those who trust Christ as Savior. For those who trust Christ, they'll experience his peace and blessing and so this is the first kind of peace. It's peace between God and man. This is the story of the coming of the king, of the prince of peace, the king who will bring peace as he closes the gap. Romans 5.1 says it this way. It will be up on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. By what? Faith. By faith. We have a peace with our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is justified? To be justified means that the God of the universe slammed his gavel and said that not guilty will you be, but I will place your punishment upon Jesus himself. You, you are guilty. He says you're guilty, but he says the punishment that you deserve will be placed upon Jesus himself. 
he will take the punishment on himself. He will be the punishment for you. He will declare you by imputation of Jesus' righteousness. He will exchange his perfection for yours by faith. And he will make you righteous and he'll make you pure. And God does this by our trust, by our trust in him. Let me tell you something this morning. So many of us think that this faith is this intellectual ascent. We think that it's just this, like, if I know all these facts about God, if I come to church every Sunday, if I hear about it, then and only then, yeah, I have faith. I believe kind of in that. But you know what faith really is? It's like a chair here. I see this chair sitting down in the corner. I know that this chair is a dark color. I know that it is sitting on the ground. I know that its legs are thin, that it's touching this white ground. I know that the chair, I know the purpose of it is really to hold me up. But until I take a seat in that chair... Until I sit down in it, do I place my faith in that chair to believe and trust that it's going to hold me up and do what it says it's going to do? Do you see what I'm saying here? That God says that when we act upon what we believe, when we walk in that, when we say that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, then not only are we justified, not only does he make us right, but we are no longer an enemy of God. Colossians 1.21 says that we are enemies with God, that we were alienated from God, that if we do not have the perfect life of Christ on us because of the sin, because we chose our own direction, because we went away from God, we made ourselves enemies. We put a fracture there. There was a chasm. There was not shalom. And God says he sends his son Jesus. He sends his son as a peace offering so that no longer would we be alienated from him. This... Uh, this past Friday, I was prepping for the sermon, and uh, I hang out with a lot of students at the University of Texas. And um, we were in the library, and there's a young guy who I've been telling uh, the gospel to for a long time. I've been explaining this to him and trying to help him see with different illustrations. And uh, we were sitting there, and I'm preparing, and I just thought, you know, I never, I never told to him that he's actually considered an enemy of God. He doesn't know, he doesn't have that faith in God. He doesn't believe and trust that Jesus was his salvation, that he's been justified. He has a chance to be justified and have peace with God. And I was sitting there and I thought, you know, that's crazy. I, I don't know if you're like me. I don't, it's hard to talk about the judgment of God sometimes. It's hard to make that clear. And I sat down and I just said, hey, I want you to read this with me real quick. He was sitting right across from me. I said, I'm preparing for the sermon. What is it? Will you read this with me? And he read it and I explained it to him. And I explained that God says that he was in, that they're enemies there's a gap. And he said, man, I don't, I don't want to be an enemy of God. And so I told him, I said, well, guess what? God has come to offer peace for all by faith for us to believe in the peace child, the one that God offered to make peace for you. And I explained the gospel again. And later that night, I got a call, actually got a text. And it just said, hey, man, I just sat with God and I told him that I want him in my life. And man, I'll tell you, I was so overwhelmed with joy for only what God can do. Only what God can do. We can be available to what God wants to do. We can tell people all about it all day long. But God has to show us this and see this. And I'm rejoicing today standing up in front of y'all that my brother is no longer an enemy of God. But he is healed. He is whole. He's together. And he has a shalom. He has a peace with God. This is the beauty of the gospel and then Paul just says it this way. In Ephesians 2, 13 through 15, he says simply this, Jesus himself is our peace. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. Actually, I don't think that's the right scripture there. 
I'm sorry. It's Ephesians 2, 13 through 15. You may not have that slide. It reads this. I'll just read it to you. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. If you get one thing out of this message today, I want you to hear this. It's that peace is not just the absence of something. It is the presence of something. Jesus is our peace. He is our peace offering. He has provided peace, and he's made peace between uh, uh, you and I and God. There's a, a book I want you to hear about. It's called The Peace Child. And uh, it's about a guy named Don Richardson. And in 1962, Don and his wife uh, were missionaries. They believed so much in this message. They believed so much in the offering of God's peace that they went to the people of New Guinea. And this tribe of people in New Guinea were actually cannibalistic people. So uh, they were very violent. They fought a lot with other tribes around them. And they were very cannibalistic. And they took their 17-month-old uh, son with them. So how's that for a, a vacation? And uh, they went and they stayed and they landed among these people, and they built their home, and they began uh, to learn the language. It's a very difficult dialect. They began to try to create peace and shalom between these people, and as they did that, these people began to value them. They valued them so much, they, they actually valued Don's wife very much because she was a doctor, and they saw her ability to help heal. And years later, years in, Don is finally able to unpack and unfold the gospel. And so what he does is he tells the gospel story. And as he's telling the gospel story in this message, when he gets to the point where Judas betrays Jesus and hands him over to the Pharisees, they started cheering and they erupted with cheers for Judas. He's like, are you kidding me? I moved my whole life. I moved my family. And these guys are cheering for Judas. And he tries to unpack this. No, 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 no. God came to offer peace. He came to be selfless. He came to be loving. He came to be giving. And he came to make peace with us. And what he finds out is that in their culture, that the people who were able to infiltrate any other tribes and able to kind of earn favor, and then they would deceive them and be traitors to them. What he found out that that was the highest uh, cultural uh, norm and uh, excellency in their culture. That that was what they achieved for. That's what they longed for. That's what they wanted to work towards. And he was like... My whole life, like, uh, what am I going to do? And he was so depressed and so discouraged, and the wars began to actually, um, between these tribes, began to be more heated and more conflictual. And uh, in one of the battles, it got so bad, he finally said, I've got to take my wife and kid, and I've got to leave here. And he tells this to the leaders, and they so badly and desperately didn't want him to go uh, that they told him, you know what, fine, if you will stay, I will we'll make peace with this tribe. This was revolutionary. It was revolutionary. And so they begin to craft this ceremony of peace. They're going to bring this other tribe in, and they're going to meet in the middle, and they were going to make a peace treaty. Now, I, I don't know what that is like. If your job is to be a trader and you're having a tribe to create peace, I can't imagine what that was going to happen at that thing. I'd be kind of weary and cautious. I'd probably be hiding in a tree. I don't know what happened. But what happens is right before the beginning of the ceremony occurred, Don talks about this. One of the tribesmen brings uh, his child one of the tribesmen brings his child, and he hands it to the chief of the tribe that Don was ministering to. And he gives this child to them, and he tells them it's theirs to keep it. It's a permanent gift. And Don was baffled. And what he saw was that while their highest achievement and ethic standard, what they wanted to go to was to be traitors, what he saw was they actually had one word in their language. It was called the peace child. And it was the offering, the one way that this culture would make peace with somebody, that there was one way. In their culture, Don learned that if a man in 
gives his newborn son to his enemy, then you can trust that man, that he is not actually a Judas. He is not an enemy. And this was their only picture of trust. Don begins to unfold the gospel again. And these people today know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the story in the picture of God that those who are far off have been brought near. Peace is a person. Peace is a child. And so you say this. You say, well, what about, that's me and God. That's my position with God. What about me? What about my life? What about my anxiety? What about everything I'm going through right now in my world? You know, you read in Matthew, he says, don't be anxious about anything. You read that there's a parable in Luke that says this. It says that, 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 that God will cast seed. Even now, as I'm preaching the word of God to some of you out there, you will cast seed out there. But to some people, it will fall on hard ground. To some, the enemy will come in and snatch it and steal it away. To some, it will be landing among the rocks. But he says, to some, thorns and thistles and weeds will rise up and choke it out. And Jesus tells us that those are the worries and anxieties of the world. You know what I really believe, my friends? You know what I really believe? I actually believe this is the one thing in this parable, the weeds, the anxieties. This is our country. This is us. We're such a worrying people. Worry is belief gone wrong because we don't believe that God's going to get it right. Let me say that again. Worrying is a belief gone wrong because we don't believe that God's going to get it right. And so we stress we stress, we're anxious, and some of you are carrying the weight of that anxiousness in here today. And God doesn't want us to live that way. He brought peace for us. You know that the number two selling drugs in the U.S. are Ambilify and Nexium. One is an antidepressant, and one is an antiacid. But why? Because we don't know how to manage in our life. We say we know the Prince of Peace, but do we really? Do we walk in that? You know, sometimes we're the greatest advertisement actually in our anxiety for unbelief. We're people of peace. We're prince of peace. But are we? Do we walk in the peace? And I don't know if you are very um, tangible, practical like me. I want you to see this real quick. We're almost done here. Flip to Philippians chapter 4. Flip to Philippians chapter 4. It'll be up on the screen too. But God doesn't want to leave us there. And so he tells us this through his son Paul. As the Christian life is not meant to be marked by anxiety, they were meant to be liberated by anxiety because the peace of the person of Jesus came. Here's what he says. Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Some of y'all just need to hear that this morning. Some of us in here this morning, you're carrying so much weight and burden, and you think that you've got to be the one to care and be anxious and worry. You're like, well, if I don't worry, my husband's not going to worry. If I don't do this, then nobody else is going to do this. If I don't accomplish this at the office, they're not going to finish it. If I don't take hold of the reins of this group project, then nobody else is going to do it. And some of you just need to hear that God says he doesn't want you to worry about anything. This is not saying don't care about things. There's a difference between anxiety and, and caring about stuff. Anxiety is the opposite of peace. Anxiety is debilitating worry, debilitating fear. The word anxious actually means to be torn to pieces and have fear. Do you think that's God's will for us? Not at all. And so Paul doesn't leave us there. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This word here for prayer is really the most general word you will find in all of Scripture for prayer. 
I know that some of y'all in here this morning, y'all have ways you pray. You have ways that you sit down and you write. Maybe you journal. Maybe you talk to God. Maybe, I don't know what you do. Maybe you pray through scripture. This is a very general term. What Paul is saying here is he's saying he wants you to create space. He wants you this season in Christmas to create time, to create a gap for you to meet with God. And in supplication, it means get specific. That's what it means. Be specific with your prayers. Man, we are such great people. <laughs> y'all with me? Y'all ever sit with somebody and you pray and you get in a prayer group and everybody's like, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us today and you would just be with us and, you know, just bless this food. We, all, we love that one. And nourish our body, Lord. We, we have to say that when we're praying for food. Just nourish our body, God. And we create these large and massive prayers that are just out there. And God says, no, get with me. Create space with me. Be specific. And you're like, Nick, I, I don't know. I don't have time for that. And I'm telling you today, you've got to create time. If you want the peace of Christ to rule your heart, you've got to create space for the person of peace. Amen? If you want to have peace in your life, you have to create space for the only one who you need as presence in your life that brings that peace. And he says, by prayer, be with God. Make specific requests. And then with thanksgiving, you're like, that's weird. Why would I pray to God and be thankful before I see if he's even going to give me what I asked for? Why would I do that? Let me tell you why you do that. Let me tell you why. Tim Keller says it this way. I wrote this quote down from him. I thought this was incredible. I thought he made a really good point here. He says this. He says, God has not made the world to be filled with sorrow and death. He did not make it to be filled with violence and suffering, but God has a plan, a plan to renew and get this world back to the shalom. If you love God, Romans 8.28 says that he is working everything out for the good of those who love him. This saying right here means that God is weaving all things together for us. He's weaving into a beautiful tapestry that you cannot see because you are finite in a moment of time. And so what you don't know is that God is working things together for your good that you cannot see that is way outside of your time frame, that is way outside of your pay grade, that is way outside of your knowledge base, amen? God is working these things. And he says, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are at peace with God, if you have shalom with God, then you believe these things. And that's a very ambiguous thing, but the concrete example of this is the cross of Christ. The worst thing to his disciples, if you were there on that day and you watched Jesus, the one who said, I will be the savior of the world, I will be the peace of the world, be placed on a cross, be nailed to the cross, be murdered and wrongfully accused, you would have thought all things were breaking down. This was not going to happen. No wonder the disciples ran and scattered. No wonder they hid. No wonder they ran away. Because it looked like everything was crumbling. But God had a plan, amen? amen. Come on, people. Are you all live this morning? I'm serious. Y'all think I'm hyped up. It's not hyped to believe that God made a way for us today. God had a plan. And if you are a person of faith this morning, what he is saying is, my son, when you make a request, you give it over to me knowing that you would have asked for what I knew if you knew what I knew. Let me say that again. My child, if you make a request, I always will give you what you would have asked for if you knew what I know. This is faith in God. To the degree that you believe this today is the degree by which you're going to have peace. God says, make space. Be specific. And be thankful. And then he says this in verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Guard, this military term, it will protect you. It will surround you. And he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, if there's anything of excellence, 
Think about these things. Think about these things. Well, what is pure? What is just? What is honorable? What is excellent? Let me tell you right now what that is. It's the doctrine of God. It's the teachings of Jesus Christ. These things are lovely. These things are excellent. These things are just and pure. And he's saying to you today, don't just get away and try to remove things from your life. Think about the great things. Don't just expel all of your worries and anxieties, but take on Take on this great stuff. Think about it. You got to think, man. We sometimes, we don't like to think. We just don't want to think sometimes. We don't want to think. And he says, you have to think. So you know what? If you have anxiety, here's what God's telling you today. You're not thinking. You're not thinking about his goodness and his graciousness. You're not creating space for that. And God longs for us to create space. That word think means to chew on, to gnaw on, literally to gnaw on. I thought about, y'all, we're in Texas. I love fajitas. Y'all like fajitas? You know when someone overcooks fajitas and you're like, you're like, gosh, this is great. Yeah. That's that gnawing. That's what he's saying. Go over and over and over and over it again. Think about it. Live in it. This is the word of God. And then he says this, and what you have learned in verse 9, you have received and heard and seen in me, practice. Don't just make space. Don't just be specific. Don't just be thankful in it. Don't just think on it, but start to put it to practice. Practice? We talking about practice? Practice. I knew that would wake y'all up. Practice. Girls in here are like, what is he talking about? Guys in here are like, oh, man, best moment ever on, on TV. You've got to put them to practice. You've got to make this stuff happen. You've got to walk in it. You've got to do it. If you don't do it, it's not going to bring peace. And this is what God says, and so he makes peace. He says to you, he makes peace that he's strong enough to do something about it. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Cast your anxieties on him, he says. He's strong enough to do something about it. He's loving enough to want to listen, and he's wise enough to know when and how to care for you. That's what he's saying to you today. He's made peace with your position with God. He has made peace and offered you a way of peace between you and yourself and then the last thing, and the band's going to come up here, and we're going to close out. As he says, I'm asking you to make peace with others. Look, I, uh, I don't come from uh, the most altogether family. Like, uh, I'll just be real with you. I didn't grow up in the church. The more you know me, the more you'll hear my story. Uh, I just, I didn't, we, we didn't have the most shalom in our house, if you will. And there was a divide. There was a gap, and there was some fracturing there. But I'll tell you, um, every time when I was in college, uh, even in my early 20s, it was difficult to go home at Christmas time because there was this strife there. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You're entering into this season, and you're going to go home, and there's a combativeness. Or, you know, man, it's like, you remember that Saturday Night Live skit with Adele, and they were at the, um, anybody see this? They're at the dinner table, and it's that skit of uh, everybody's bickering and arguing. I mean, that's like the family table at Christmas, you know? And... Um, I get that, that there's strife, there's not shalom. But here's what God tells us in Romans 12. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's hard. I'm not standing up here today telling you it's easy. But Jesus calls us to be the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This takes trust. It takes trusting the promises that God has spoken about long ago and the promises that he is speaking about, about what is to come. We are powerless. 
We cannot crush the head of the devil. We cannot end the enemy's reign on this earth. We cannot bless an entire earth. And we cannot eradicate all of destruction. But there will be a day that is coming when the one who has already inaugurated, given us a taste of this peace, he will bring peace and fulfillment forevermore. And on his shoulders will rest the government. It will rest. He will establish his kingdom. And I want you to see this in Daniel as we close here. Daniel 2.44. A prophecy of the coming and return of the second advent of Jesus Christ. Says in those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces in all the kingdoms, and it will bring them to an end, and it will stand forever. God will not come back in the form of a baby. There will be no swaddling of another child. It says he will break through the clouds and break through the sky, and on his thigh will be a tattoo. You don't swaddle a man with a thigh, with a thigh tattoo, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It says he'll have a sword coming out of his mouth. And there will be a moment of justice forevermore where he will eradicate the pain and the suffering that you are enduring at this moment. The things that you think nobody sees, that God sees, says he'll wipe away every tear from your eye. And you, if you are in faith, have been made right with God and have shalom and peace with God will be brought near forevermore. Your faith will be your sight. Everything you hope for in anticipation, thank you, Todd, for preaching on this last week, will be made sight. And peace will be our kingdom. This is what we have to look forward to. This is the hope. This is the story from the beginning to end of God who when we walked away from him in the fracture and the breaking between us and God and the connection he has set into place from the beginning of time that he's longed to bring shalom and peace back to your life. And he will do that. And it will come. You believe it? We're one day closer than we were yesterday. I don't know uh, what you're thinking this Christmas. I pray that you would feel and know the presence of the peace, that it's a person that you can try to remove as much as you want. <laughs> but until you make space with him, you're not going to receive that peace that you are longing for. And uh, I just want to pray real quick. Will you, if you are willing, will you just bow your head? And uh, I know we don't normally do this here, but, man, I, I have a real problem with just talking up here and then not leaving God room to do something in our hearts. And so I just want to be quiet personally for a second. And if you're willing, you don't have to do this. If, this isn't, if you're willing, you just open your hands. Just as a sign to God to say, I'm, I'm going to surrender to you right now in a moment. And I just want you to ask him, Lord, what do you need me specifically to hand over to you today? What am I being anxious about right now? Maybe there's something in the back of your mind. Are you even ready to get out of here, rush to the parking lot, 
What do you need to hand over to him? What anxieties, things that are tearing you apart? <coughs> Let me ask you one more question while your eyes are closed. Lord, ask him this. Lord, who do I need to reconcile with? Who do I need to engage like you engaged me and make peace with? I will say that if you don't know him today and you're still praying, if you don't have this peace, if you know you haven't placed your faith, that today is an opportunity for you to do that. The offer is there. And if peace is a person, then you can have access to this person today. Just tell him, and there's no magical words. Just tell him in your own words today. I want that peace. I believe you are the king of all kings. I believe you are the one who is to come, who has come and will come again. And I believe that you died for me to close the gap, to close the fracture and to bring shalom. Lord, I pray over all these things spoken today. I pray that you would bring a peace that is beyond understanding. And may that begin knowing that peace is a person and that you made way for us to come and approach you right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have communion right now. And uh, in communion, we're going to sing a song. And I think it's perfect. I didn't pick this song, and Lainey did. She did an incredible job of putting together a set list today. And communion will be on the side over here. Um, this is an opportunity for us to partake in the family covenant, the covenant of the blood and the body of Christ. It's an opportunity for us to once again remember what God has done in our life. And so as you take the body that's been broken, know that it's been broken for you. As you drink the juice, you dip it in the, the juice, know that, that it represents his blood that has been shed for you. It's an opportunity to remember God's graciousness. There will be people on the walls over here that are willing to pray with you if you want. But I want you to know about this song that we're going to sing. It's uh, the song that you've sung. You've probably heard this if you've been in church before. It's called It Is Well. And the song was written when a man named Horatio Spafford lost his son and his whole business in a fire in Chicago in the late 1800s. And he sends, after losing his first son and losing his business and his home, he sends his family overseas, his wife and his four daughters, and on a boat on the way while crossing the Atlantic, that boat collides with another boat. And his four other daughters drown. And the wife was recovered and rescued, and she sends word, and she sends telegram back to Horatio in the States, and all it says is two words, saved alone. And as he goes to meet his wife, and he boards a boat to head over to England to be reunited. As he's moving across the Atlantic, he writes these songs and he says these words, it is well with my soul. We can sing this today, church, with authority. We can sing this with hope and confidence today. If you are made in Christ, this man knew this was a temporary place, that there would be a time of peace to come. And all the anxieties and all the worries and even the hardships you're walking through are made well with Christ. Let's, uh, let's stand today, let's celebrate communion, and uh, let's sing.